Good morning, everyone. Welcome this morning to Bethany, both here in the sanctuary and also online. Just one quick update before we get into the text. Um, last week I had shared that I had traveled to Europe, put my, checked my Bible and my checked luggage. It disappeared. It's back. It just, it just showed up, uh, showed up yesterday afternoon at the gas station at Soqualmie Pass, which is our post office. And uh, with a kind note from a woman in Germany named Melanie. Thank you, Melanie, if you're watching. It means a lot to all of us. I mean, to me especially. Uh, and with a little poem on a German, in, in German, my rough translation, uh, we don't see what we have, but we always miss what we've lost. It's pretty powerful, really good. And it's true, but it's not the sermon this morning. So we are talking this morning about uh, forgiveness. And when I knew this was a text was assigned to me, I thought to myself, this won't be hard. There's a book entitled As We Forgive about the Rwandan genocide. There's powerful stories in there that I've heard firsthand, been privileged to do so in my time in Rwanda. However, as I studied this week, I realized that those stories are remote to us. Very powerful and poignant and applicable, but remote. A book that I think speaks to where we're at as a culture in 2023 is entitled The Body Keeps Score. And some of you may have read it and some haven't. But the thesis of this book is that we carry in our physical bodies a lot. We carry uh, rejection, betrayal, loss, violence done to our bodies and souls, broken relationships, and so we all carry a lot of things personally, and to the extent that we don't deal with those things redemptively, they take form in our body, and, and we carry them around, and it's very unhealthy. And not only do we have personal stuff that we're carrying, but uh, all of us now live in a culture that I would say over the last decade uh, has, has created uh, kind of a pandemic of bitterness and anger as well, rooted in political polarization, COVID isolation, uh, online algorithms and responses, and you, you put all that in a pot, and we have trouble with anger and bitterness. We may not know it on the surface, but we're going to pause a minute this morning and think this through, not just with our minds, but with our hearts, asking God to teach us to be people who are kind of swimming in, a, in an ocean of mercy so that we, having been recipients of great mercy, can also freely, freely forgive others, those who, in our lives, we need to forgive. And so let's pray toward that end now, and then we'll look at the text. Father, now would you be our teacher this morning through the power of your Holy Spirit? May we leave here changed for having allowed you to kind of peel away the layers in our lives and expose areas where we still need to forgive other people. That's a particular prayer, but also that you would teach us to be um, those who, like children, can be held by you and receive forgiveness. Take us there, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. At the beginning, uh, because we're talking about the Lord's Prayer, we're in the phrase that's uh, not uniformly spoken the same way among English speakers. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Who grew up that way? Raise your hand. Forgive us our trespasses. Who grew up that way? Raise your hand. Who never prayed this prayer before until today? Raise your hand. Either, whatever it is, it doesn't matter. Here's the point. Uh, there's, a, there's different views on this, and I'm just going to kind of clear the decks here and let you know. Matthew 6.12, the, the Greek word is debt. 6.14, trespasses. Luke 11, sin. 
they don't all mean exactly the same thing. Trespass suggests that we violated a rule. Uh, that's Genesis, you know, two. Hey, there's lots of trees in the garden. You can eat of any of them. Not this one. Don't eat of that one. If you do, you're stepping over the line. That's a trespass. A debt is this implication that we have somehow squandered a resource that has been entrusted to us, and, and now God would like us to give account for the resources entrusted to us, and we don't have them anymore because we, we wasted them. There's many examples of this in the Bible, but Ezekiel 16 comes to my mind as a powerful example. It's a metaphor of God comparing the people of God to a baby dying in a field. God, as we just sung, loves us, seeks us, brings us in, feeds us, clothes us, gifts us, forgives us, makes us whole, and not to mention all the material gifts that we enjoy and the, and the measure of health that we enjoy in education. And then the question on the table a little bit is this, what did you do with it all? And in Ezekiel 16, God's complaint is we squandered it, right? We, we used the gifts entrusted to us uh, and we kind, of, we kind of wasted away our lives in selfish pursuits, trivial pursuits, uh, and, and become mired in you know, bitterness and consumerism and individualism, all that stuff. That's a debt, right? And so I only share all of that to say there's a danger uh, that Paul warns against, and it's the wrangling over words. We don't need an international conference to settle you know, debts or trespasses and have Bible wars. We don't need to do that. All we need to do is fly a little bit higher and understand here's the principle at stake. Everybody in the room, we've all fallen short of living to our capacity. Call whatever you want, but we've blown it, right? And so that's kind of where we begin here. And so this, this prayer comes on the heels of what is in the middle of the Lord's Prayer, which is this, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And one of the ways that we do this is by becoming people of uh, preemptive and unconditional forgiveness, so that we're dispensing grace as freely as we've received it. But I'm just going to tell you, that's really hard to do. It's hard to forgive people who haven't known or named that they've wronged you, even though they have. And that's kind of where this prayer takes us. So we're going we're gonna to get there. But, but to do that, I want us to see, like, to swim in this ocean of mercy so that we really have short accounts. We're not holding stuff against people. We're quick to forgive and we're quick to confess so we receive forgiveness from God and from others. To, to live in that ocean, there's kind of three uh, ways to miss that. And it's those three things that we want to look at this morning from this prayer. First of all, we can fail to admit that we need forgiveness. That's a problem for some. Then second, we can fail to believe that we're already forgiven. And third, we can fail to embody Christ by forgiving others. So we're going to look at all three of those. We begin with this one. One of the ways we can miss swimming in the social mercy is by failing to admit that we need forgiveness. This is the first part of the prayer. Forgive us our debts, right? We, that we pray it. And I would, like we pray this all the time, but I think the words roll off our, our, our tongues and we don't think about what we're really saying when we say that. Forgive us, our, forgive us our debts. Forgive us our trespasses. Forgive us our sins. Let's just pause there. Because embedded in that request is like an existential acknowledgement that we've fallen short. Like, I know that God wants me here, and I'm here. I know it. Not just theoretically. I've experienced my own failure. Everything is built on that assumption that I own my stuff. 
So 1 John 1, 8 and 9 says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, right? Make God a liar. And all, everybody in the room would say, yeah, yeah, preach it. We got to confess our sins. We all believe that in theory. Practice, however, is another, I would say is another matter. And here's why. Denial is in our nature. Why do I say that? Because Romans says that what happened with Adam as the prototypical human, like he passed stuff down to you. Not just blue eyes or whatever, like we share the, the human genome, I get it. But also, there's, there's stuff in us that's broken that we've inherited. And one of the things that's broken is our propensity to own our own sin and name it. It's hard for us to do that. And there's three ways we blow it. Here's one way we deny that we own our sin. It's seen in Genesis 3 where, where blame is our defense mechanism. I mean, this guy, Eric Byrne, years ago in the 60s, he wrote a book entitled Games People Play. And part of the thesis of the book, a, psych, a psychology book, is how we, do, how we fail to own our stuff. Because I can never be free from my stuff till I own my stuff, right? So I gotta own it. What, what's one of the ways I don't own it? I blame others, right? So we take our destructive behavior, whatever it is, I self-medicate, I'm bitter, I'm supremely cynical, I'm greedy, I'm proud, I'm excessively materialistic, I have addictions, whatever it is, and once it's exposed, we're like this, oh yeah, yeah, I'll tell you why, it's because of Eric, that's it, he's my boss, and he's a mean guy, and I go home depressed every day, and drink three quarts of beer, so shame on him, do you understand what I'm saying, I mean, it's not Eric, I don't drink three quarts of beer, purely hypothetical, right? But, it's, but you get the point, we're like this. If, remember what, God, what does God say to Adam? Hey, did you eat of the fruit? It's not a hard question. Two possible answers. Adam in his fallen creativity comes up with a third answer, which is what? Oh yeah, the woman you gave me, that's why I ate. Subtext, if she had not been around, I'd be clean as a whistle. Right? So we fail to own our stuff. If you'd not given me the woman, I'd have not eaten the fruit. If my parents had loved me unconditionally, I wouldn't have those insecurities that turn me into an approval addict or workaholic. If my parents had stayed married, I'd have stayed married. If the church had been more like Jesus, I'd have stayed in the church. But because the church blew it, that's my problem. Because my parents blew it, that's why I'm this way. Because my spouse blew it, that's why I'm this way. Because my teacher blew it, whatever. Hey, I get it. We've been mistreated, everybody in the room. But here's the deal. Man's Search for Meaning, written by Viktor Frankl, who was in the camps, he, he said this. He, he goes, look, there's stuff that happens, and then there's my response but between here and here, there's a moment of freedom. And I'm free to create my response. So did stuff happen that's bad? Bam. Everybody in the room, we got a story. I get it. But what I have to own is my response to the bad stuff. I have to own that rather than blame. And so if I fall into the trap of blaming, I am forever the victim. And the only reason I'm dysfunctional is because of the college admissions board or the, the auditing agency or the teacher that did this. No. 
Bad things happen, but we have to own our response. Second trap we fall into that makes us blind to our own shortcomings is our habit of comparison. You know, we look around at the holiness of somebody else or generosity or wisdom or somebody else's marriage or somebody else's worldview and, and we cherry pick selectively and create a contest in which we win, right? Oh, they swear I don't. They're divorced, I'm not. He's in AA, I'm not. And so I'm up here and they're down there and so I'm okay. But remember, I'm not called to compare myself with Eric. He's not my reference point. Christ is my reference point. Are you with me? And so it's any of us in the room can find someone more pathetic than ourselves. It's not hard, right? It's a pathetic world. So you can look around and find people and go, yeah, I'm, you know, I'm killing it. Like I, here's comparison. When we lived in the city, man, I would run the lake here. And, you know, I moved, when I moved here, I was in my mid-30s. And it was like, how many people can I pass? How many people can I pass? And then pretty soon it was like, how many people are passing me? Because I'm getting older, right? And then ultimately, I'll see some old guy trying to run in his 80s. I'm like, I'm going to go after it, man. And then I pass him, and I'm like, yeah, that's it, me. That's me killing it, you know? It's like Kramer in karate, if you know that story from that show. It's like all the little kids, and he's the black belt, and he's tossing kids. He's like, look at me. Yeah, I'm an expert. Hey, that's deception, right? Second Corinthians 10, 12 says this. Those who compare themselves with themselves are not wise, right? So, you, you know, the guy who's in AA, he knows he's an alcoholic, he might be way more in touch with his brokenness and need for God than I am. Because I'm tempted to spend my life putting on a show to convince myself that I am okay. And some people are in the you know, cusp of divorce or in the wake of divorce, a failed marriage. And they're, they're more in touch with their own selfishness and will blossom into deeper lovers than somebody whose marriage is held together by the glue of legalism. Like we gotta stay married for the kids. So you can feel good, but it's entirely misguided and the way out of that is stop comparing, right? When I uh, was getting married, we took a, like a psych test of some sort to reveal our dysfunctions, both my wife and I. And then, the, you know, the pastor went over this with us. Some of you in the room have done that. We do it here, I think, as well. And so I scored really high on anger. Now, many of you in the room wouldn't believe that, about me, because I seem pretty mild-mannered and pretty easygoing, but that's because you don't know me at home, right? Only my daughter over there in the window and my wife would say, amen, you know, we get it. Yeah, he's got a problem. Um, but one of the ways that I would deny my anger frequently is by looking at really angry people. Do you understand what I mean by that? And so I'd be like this, I'd be driving and I'd go, oh yeah, Look at that, I don't have a road rage problem like that dude who just cut people off and I don't give the finger that way, I don't do that. Like I turn on KCMS and so I'm good for me. I'm not angry, I'm fine. I'm not, you know, I don't, I don't melt down in staff meetings at Bethany Community Church. I'm the calm guy, I'm fine, I'm not fine. And 
it's the wrong reference point. Do you understand? And so we got to learn to own our stuff. And my anger is rooted in family stuff that I won't get into today. But whatever, I have to deal with it. And I have to own it. And not say, I'm better than you, so I don't have to deal with it. That is a prison. And you'll be stuck there forever in this kind of false sense of having a moral high ground, which kind of leads me to the third point, which is, by the way, the third point under the first point, <laughs> which is these way, how do we deceive ourselves, right? Like we blame, we compare, and then we create kind of the wrong metrics, right? We elevate the sins that we don't commit to the place of prominence. So for example, you know, if you happen to be conservative leaning, you're like this. I'll tell you what the big sins are in America. Sexual sin, man, that's it. We gotta deal with sex stuff. All that yucky stuff that's going on out there, let's put a stop to that right now and then America will be great again. And then if you're on the right, you're like, excuse me, if you're on the left, you're like this. Sex, are you kidding me? Hello, race, economic oppression, uh, marginalizing homeless people, greed, and then, you know, every, we all feel good because the, the problems aren't what we do. It's what the other team does. But here's the deal. The main metric isn't sexual sin or race or greed or violence or lying. The main metric is looking like Jesus because Jesus says ultimately everyone's known by their fruit and just as we've studied, love God, love people, and all will be well, we can't love God and people unless we start by naming our shortcomings and, and we name it by kind of owning our stuff and saying, this is what God's calling me to be and this is where I am. And the, and the reason we need to own it is because the notion that we're entirely shaped by our environment is just a lie. Jesus was born into poverty in the midst of an empire built on oppression in the midst of a religious system built on performance and pretense and self-righteousness and pride. And yet somehow, in spite of all of that, he managed to reject all those mechanisms and, and managed to not conform to those systems and not seek their violent overthrow, but choose this very narrow high road. And he calls us to do the same thing. Don't be politically angry, don't be self-medicating this way, and don't claim the moral high ground because your standard isn't one another or the evangelical church or your political party. The standard is Jesus. And if we take that seriously, then we start to feel our, you know, our need. We start to feel our need. I've shared before, I played piano uh, a little bit and then I was up in Banff and this gal was playing the Rachmaninoff piano concerto at the Banff Center for the Arts. And I had met her, it was, it was rehearsal, I'd met her at the break over carrots and, and I didn't know she was gonna be the soloist. And she was like, I play piano. And you know, I'm trying to always build a bridge. I'm like, I play piano too. She goes, oh, cool, let's play some duets after the concert. I go, yeah, yeah, that'd be fun. You know, chopsticks and a little, little jazz with three chords. I'm in. And she sits down, like, and I remember just putting my hands in my pocket, like consciously, like, 
Uh, this is hopeless, right? And then afterwards, she's like, can we play together? And I go, never, never, I will never. I won't get within 10 feet of a piano if you're in the room because now I've seen reality. Do you understand? Uh, what did Jesus say in the same story on the mount? Hey, uh, don't think I came to abolish the law. I came to fulfill it. So pay attention because it's up here. The piano man, that's your standard, not me. <laughs> so one of the biggest risks in the American church is that we're stuck in kind of this self-referential self-righteousness. Do you know what I mean by that? Oh, yeah, we're fine. We're fine. Because why? You know, we got the orthodoxy. We got the buildings. We got, a, you know, proper politics. Check, 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 check. Like, utterly blind to greed, complacency, hypocrisy, self-medicating behavior, judgmentalism. Man, stop. I'll never be free until I own my stuff. So that's the first thing. I got I to gotta confess my stuff. The second thing, if I do confess my stuff, we often fail to believe that we're forgiven. And then we wallow in shame. And the, but the gospel makes this stunning declaration that I think is not taught enough because we're afraid of grace. And the stunning declaration is that God's forgiveness is preemptive. How do I know? Luke 23, 34. Jesus hanging on the cross... And, and, and the perpetrators of this crime are hurling insults at him. They've just beaten him up. They spit on him. They said, I have your God. Come down, you know, and they're, and they're cursing. And they're, you know, rolling dice for his clothes. And without, without the perpetrators, A, confessing their sin, B, seeing their need for God, C, confessing Jesus as their personal savior or something like that, what does Jesus do from the cross? He prays. And what does he pray? Father, forgive them. Wow. If you skip ahead to 1 John 2, which I can now find rather easily because it's my own Bible. 1 John 2 says, My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if you sin, we have an advocate Christ, and Christ is the propitiation, a fancy word that simply means this. Christ has absorbed all the guilt for our sins. Oh, that's good news, right? It's all of us in the room. He's absorbed the guilt. But now, listen to this. Not ours only, but the sins of the, in my Bible, underlined, circled, two exclamation points, the whole world. What does that mean? That means God's not mad anymore. That's what that means. And one of the most important things we can do is recognize that God's not angry. Because God's anger, God's need for justice, the capacity to defeat the forces of evil in this world and in our lives, all of that was absorbed by Christ on the cross. It's paid for. There's this guy, this was years ago in the 60s, a professor at Wheaton would walk home from... Uh, from the university, and uh, a little neighbor boy would have a glove and a ball, and he would play catch with this guy named Dr. Leakey. Every day, play catch, play catch, play catch, play catch. And one day, you know, the little boy throws the ball, he throws it too high over Dr. Leakey's head and breaks the big window in Dr. Leakey's home. So, I mean, take a wild guess. What does the boy do? He's gone. Runs off around the corner. 
Dr. Levy isn't even mad. Like he fixes the window, it's done. But from then on, every day, so here's a block, a school block. Here's the kid. Dr. Leakey would come, and as soon as, they, as soon as he saw Dr. Leakey, he'd run away. Day after day after day for two weeks. Dr. Leakey, being a PhD, had a brilliant idea. This guy's looking for, looking for me here. I'm going to go around the block this way. <laughs> And he did. And so here's the kid, you know, looking for Dr. Leakey. And here comes Dr. Leakey. And he hugs him. And the kid tries to run, you know, not happening. He sets him down. And he says, hey, you know, why are you running away? He says, because I broke your window. He says, I don't care. It's paid for. He says, but here's the thing. I'm lonely. You know what I miss? I want to play catch with you, buddy. Can we play catch? Kid runs home, gets his mitt. Let the party begin. So listen, if God's already forgiven you, what's the point of confession? Here's the point of confession. Because whether it's through blame, hey, Dr. Lee, you should have caught that. (laughs) Or comparison, Oh, yeah, Dr. Lee, I know guys who broken 10 windows. Or, or the wrong metric. Hey, Dr. Lee, broken windows don't matter. I was working on my fastball, man. And, and that's what matters. Look, if you're that way, you're living in denial rather than confession. And if you're living in denial, you won't come to the party. And if you don't come to the party, you can't eat the banquet. And if you can't eat the banquet, you are perpetually hungry. For hope, meaning, acceptance, joy, calling, wisdom. You don't have it. You you do. It's available. But you won't come to the party. Because you can only come to the party with empty hands. Like, I'm broken, man. That's why confession matters. And finally, we can fail to become the presence of Christ... by failing to forgive others. Uh, When we read the text, forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors, that should give you serious pause, friends. Because this is what you're praying. You're asking God to grant you forgiveness, not on the basis of God's grace and mercy and the work done on the cross. You're asking God to grant you forgiveness by the same standard with which you are forgiving others in your life. Forgive me, God, in the same way that I'm forgiving him. Wow, you really want to pray that? That seems a little insane because a quick moral inventory of our own hearts might reveal that we have some work to do if we're going to bring our forgiveness capacity up to the level of Jesus, right? We're carrying stuff. All of us are. And yeah, that's true. And that's the point of the prayer, right? So every time... If, like, if, I, if I'm going to bathe in this mercy and, and receive forgiveness, that was what we read, Matthew 18. If I'm going to receive forgiveness, freely you have what? Received, therefore what? Freely, I have to give the same way. I, that's the work of my transformation and sanctification and growth in Christ. I got to learn to be a person, you know, freely forgiving. 
because the parable that was read is where Jesus raises the bar. And if we've done away with games of comparison and denial and self-righteousness that come from elevating other people's sins to the status of serious, and, and we've owned our stuff, and we've confessed our sin, we'll be ready for the message. Why? Because when I own my stuff and do the work, I, I, I've identified pain and lies believed and the ways I've self-medicated to get out of pain. And, and, and then I will see in the process that like I'm on this journey of need to be healed of my own brokenness and that part of that journey is owning my stuff and part of that journey is forgiving those in my life who weren't able to be for me what I needed in the moment. Does that make sense? So I'm going to be a little bit vulnerable this morning and give you a little bit of illustration of this in my own life. Um, some of you know this Enneagram thing and you've taken it and maybe if you don't, every number uh, in my kind of summary version, every number explains to you how you are uniquely messed up. That's really what it does. <laughs> that's, that, that's my view. Now there's other views, that's my view. And I'm a three, so threes are uniquely messed up this way. We have kind of this lust for approval, right? We love, we, we love when people say good things about us. And so, you know, I look back and, and I can see now, only in about the last decade, I can see how my entire being has risen and fallen with praise and advancement and, and, and criticism and rejection. Like, if people think I'm good, I'm good. If people think I'm not good, I'm not good. I would say the worst cases were early here at Bethany. The worst cases. Like back in the day before the internet, there were these things called cassette tapes. Ask your parents. They're plastic. You could get a sermon, you know. And people would sign up. And I'd preach a sermon. And then I'd go in on Monday and I'd see how many people sign up. And I could, I could, I'll just tell you. There were days when there were like only three. And I'd, say to my, I'd go home and say to my wife, i got to quit. This is ridiculous. And it wasn't nobody appreciates me. It's like, I'm not good enough. I'm not good enough. I'm, I'm done. So, you know, likes, book proposals accepted, psh, book proposals rejected, psh, up and down. I see now, here's the lie, I need human approval. Well, where did that came from? come from came from a lack of human approval in my own story like my mom like we grew up I, I love my family Christian home my faith heritage comes from my parents they're great my dad was my hero my mom was a faithful servant to both my sister and I all good went to Billy Graham when I was five years old learned the faith love 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 right and wasn't perfect like lots of criticism and I have memories to this day of like weeding the garden as a, like an eight-year-old. And in Fresno, weeding the garden is no fun in the summertime. It's 110 degrees, you know. You're out there pulling. And my mom would come out and she'd go, you missed three. And it was like this big plot. Oh, yeah, there's 1,500 over here in the pile. Yeah, get the three before you come in. That was just a thing. Now, my mom, I love my mom, but nobody's perfect. That's part of her story. And, and uh, I dealt with it a certain way. My sister dealt with it this way. Oh, yeah, you know, boom, boom. And there was conflict in the house all the time. What did I do? I left. I just left. I mean, in every way I left. 
like I'm here, a thousand miles away. That's part of that story, but that's not for today. But I would, I would just leave. So years ago, my sister's visiting before she passed away, and it's late at night, and she's, she and me and uh, my wife Donna, we're sitting at the table, and my sister says, oh, but when I was in therapy, my therapist said da 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 and I said, hey, don't, wait, 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 time out. What, therapy? What are you in therapy for? She goes, oh, you know, to deal with our family stuff. I go, we don't have any family stuff. She goes, then she got really mad at me. She goes, you didn't have any family stuff. You know why? You were never home. And then she shared a story. She said, I watched it. I watched it. Mom would lay into you and you'd pretend to believe her. Say, thanks a lot. And then you'd go. Baseball, basketball, track, academics, sixth in your class, good at music, good grades, honor orchestra, jazz band for the local Fresno hockey team, scholarships, opera orchestra, prestigious architecture program, never, ever, ever home. Why? Why be there, man? It's toxic. I didn't know it at the time, but I could get a big dumpster load of approval anywhere else. So there you'd find me. <laughs> and I needed to own it. And I need to own it to this day. Every time I come up here, I have to say, why are you doing this? <laughs> and I need to confess it. And confess it, it came from a love hunger gone wrong. And find my identity in Christ and not in human approval. And part of that freedom came in needing to forgive my mom. Who in her own brokenness dealt with life that way. But my capacity to forgive was born out of owning it, receiving forgiveness, becoming rooted and grounded in my identity in Christ, and, and really hearing, and this very profound moment, hearing God say to me, Richard, stop, stop. Stop looking for approval. Stop it. In, in preaching, in writing, in speaking, in traveling, in leading, in pastoring, enough. Let me just hold you. Huh. I heard that in a moment and I started to cry that's real no 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 I gotta get out there and no you don't stop it let me hold you oh man and then and then being held knowing I've got work to do I gotta forgive if I'm really gonna be free I gotta forgive that's what this prayer means. So my hope is we can't pray this prayer ever again without God bringing to mind the work that we need to do in our own souls, right? I've got people that I need to forgive because I've got lies I believed. I've got, I've got self-medicating behavior that's been destructive. I've got bitterness I'm carrying. Man, and if I don't forgive, it will haunt me. Met a guy 30 years ago in eastern Alberta <laughs> and he was, uh, he took me out to lunch. I was speaking at his church he was in his 80s, and he had heard something similar to this then, and he wanted to challenge me. He said, no, you can't forgive somebody unless they admit that they're wrong. Until they admit it, you have to hold them accountable to that. And so, you know, here we go, and we went back and forth in the Bible, kind of Bible wars. He was sharing different verses, blah, 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 whatever. 
then I said, what's behind this? And he shared a story of a guy in the church who'd offended him. And it was a big offense and it was a family matter and it hurt and it was personal. And I said, and he just wants to move on. And every Sunday he holds his hand out to shake my hand and he says, I will not shake his hand until, until there's forgiveness. I said, when did this thing happen? How long has this been? And he was in his 80s. He said, I was 43 when it happened. Every Sunday for 43 years. Really? <laughs> Who's winning? Jesus? No. Let it go. Freely you received, freely give. So as we close, I'm gonna just ask you to take your bulletin and, you know, prayerfully tear it up a little bit and, and write this thing down because you've forgiven me and I've actively received it from you, Lord Jesus. I now forgive. And just put an initial on here or if that's even too personal, an X, whatever it is. As God brings someone to mind, the work of forgiveness that you need to do to be free so that you can be held by Christ and better represent Christ, you name your, your work of forgiveness and then bring it forward. Our prayer team will be here, but they will also pray over these, I know. And so we're gonna take this moment here to do the hard work of forgiveness because on the far side of that, I promise you, lies rest and freedom and wholeness. We don't need to carry it anymore. We can let it go and forgive. Father, thank you that you've forgiven us. In this broken world, Father, uh, we're, we're hurt by things that have happened to us, by people. And there, there remains from all of us in the room in varying degrees work of forgiveness to be done. We don't have to run to that person even. We just have to say, in Jesus' name, I'm done holding a debt over this person's head. May, may you take us to that space now by the power of your Holy Spirit. We pray in Christ's name, amen. So just write this down, if you would, as a prayer, and then I really would ask you to bring it forward so that we can pray with you and know and, and pray for the work that God is doing in this community that we might better represent Christ. Let's worship together.